Hey everybody, welcome to Swedenborg Live. It's time for us to talk about the core of life. It's time to get spiritual. And I'm hanging out with a great crew to do that with. First of all, all of you out there, thank you for being a part of it. My name is Curtis Childs and I'll be your host. And the panel is the best panel you could possibly imagine tonight because everybody's here. What's up, everyone? How are you doing? Hey, Curtis. Happy to be here. I'm really getting into the Christmas uh, swing these days, and that's feeling fun. And uh, nice to wrap up the year with the off the left eye crowd. How about you, Chelsea? Yeah. Hey, everybody. I'm happy to be here, too, and super fun to do this end of the year live show and get to spend some time together. It feels exciting. How about you, Jonathan? I, I'm under a contract obligation. No, I'm just kidding. I'm very happy to be here <laughs> and enjoy being with you all, hearing your questions, and uh, really looking forward to hearing what's on your minds and hearts and uh, hoping we can get some answers through through prayer and the grace of God. All right. How about you, Karen? Doing well. So happy to be here. Uh, happy to have our youngest daughter home from college for the Christmas holidays and son Matthew coming home soon too and loving seeing all the pretty lights outside. I love that custom that helps us as the year is getting darker and colder that that's just we can cheer each other up with that <laughs> and looking forward to talking with y'all and if you have ever had any questions on a Swedenborgian uh, view of Christmas or the Christmas story this would be a great <laughs> show to ask them in. Speaking of cheering up we had something happen that cheered all of us up here on staff and it's going to cheer all of you up because you're all getting the games for free. It's not a Christmas present. It's because we have a sponsor for today's show. Thank you, Colin. Colin Vickers has sponsored this show, which means that he contributed $250, which means that we'll automatically get the games. And as a reward for being a sponsor, he gets a private Q&A session with us. He's submitted this great question that we're going to meet up with him and talk all the way through. If any of you want to do the same thing, get in touch and with uh, Tim Bilger, and you can be the sponsor. But in the meantime, thank you, Colin, for making this happen. Really appreciate it. So we're going to do the games no matter what. But we can do even better if everybody has the will for it because our friend and director of development, Tim Bilger, and his wife, Glacy have also contributed $250 with the condition that we match it. So every dollar that we put in here gets us closer to matching their $250. So if you put in five, they'll put in five. You put in 10, they put in 10, all the way up to $250. So let's see if we can't take some money out of Tim's pocket for a good cause. Uh, so if you want to donate, go to off the left eye dot com slash donate and you can help make it happen you'll get the games either way it's a christmas present from colin to all of us okay great let's do it uh oh yeah so we've we're going to get questions in through the usual method which is type them into the chat there and we are also going to do our thought brings presence segment near the end so also in the chat Tell us about the people you're thinking of with love who have passed on, and we will celebrate their continued life near the end. 
Okay, panel, are you ready? They all said yes. You can't say <laughs> them. They're all like, yeah, like we, we were born ready is what they said. Okay, question number one is from The Cube. The Cube asks, if the only options are choosing goodness and truth or evil and falsity, can anyone trick you into choosing evil and falsity? Swedenborg says evils can rub off, so to speak, on others. Good question to start it off with. Karin, what's the answer? Don't trick us. <laughs> I will not trick you. Um, the first thought that comes to mind is that, yes, people can trick each other. Spirits can work, trick each other or trick people. But being tricked into evil and falsity does not stick to you if you did not realize it. So you can be temporarily tricked for sure, but uh, God makes sure that you are only responsible for what you truly understood your choice to be. And if you truly understood the difference between good and evil, and if you had been temporarily tricked, um, that's gonna get remedied in the afterlife. Like you will be helped to see how things really are and uh, to make your actual own choice with eyes wide open. So no one can be tricked all the way into hell. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, make sure that the being tricked does not stick. Yeah, uh, that that's a great distinction to make that there is what is not, or I mean, what is not chosen rationally and in freedom doesn't become a part of you. It's the same principle that makes it so that if you are coerced into believing something religiously because there's a threat if you don't it doesn't really become a part of you it's only what's in freedom and love and you're making the same point there we're on the board by the way we had a donation from john so now that that gift goes twice as far because now tim has to shell out to match it um awesome okay so chelsea did you have some thoughts yeah just that what that gets at is how how core our spiritual freedom is and how that's really a part of our identity. So that's one of the things that God protects so much in us as like the spiritual design is for us to always have a deep inner spiritual freedom so that we can choose. So nobody can trick us. If that, if our, if our, if our own intention was overridden by evils, that would be something God could see the difference between, you know, and then in, leaving this world in, in the afterlife where the divine design, you know, isn't having to also, you know, be in the world of physical laws and whatever things of things of the world here. So then it becomes uh, just entirely true that you are what you love, what you intend to do. So that's never going to be that that's what you spend time figuring out what the truth of that is. Um, and one other piece, about evils rubbing off is it's just interesting to think about how Swedenborg says that evils are, are very actually kind of, um, I mean, how do I say this neutral? Like they're not condemning to us unless we intend them, you know, like if we often, we all have evils rubbed off on us in our, you know, in our hereditary evils as Swedenborg described that like that's, and even that it's, that's the sort of essential part of us, to navigate in order to develop ourselves. And so it's only, it's only the things that we choose to do with intention that, uh, that 
that's when an evil becomes more like a sin, something that would be more condemning. Um, and that's if we're, con you know, consistently choosing it, not if we're just sort of thrown into a situation and make a bad choice, you know, in the moment. Uh, so those are some other thoughts. If I can pick right up on what Chelsea just said, I, I agree about that. Um, uh, there's been a, a culture around the idea of kind of instantaneous salvation or the idea of deathbed repentance, you know, as if you can very quickly make that choice, but actually it's something that we do over and over again. So one of my thoughts is that we can be tricked, I think at times, into, if, if, if we intend good, if we're choosing good and truth, uh, we can be tricked into doing something evil because we, we got fooled or something. We can be tricked into thinking something false. A lot of our thoughts are false. Uh, but choosing, I don't think you can be tricked into choosing because choosing is something you do over and over again. Um, and so sooner or later, you'll you'll sort of get it right if you see what I mean. I, 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 I don't think, as others were saying, that you can be tricked long enough to have that happen. And it is interesting that Swedenborg says that evils are contagious. Uh, you know, so if you're around people, I think Swedenborg says at some point, who can live among thieves and not be a thief? You know, that kind of thing that, that uh, these things do rub off on us. But that's partly why Jesus washed the disciples' feet was that, hey, you walk through this life, your, your feet get dirty and, and so on. But that doesn't mean that your heart and mind are, are necessarily choosing that, like that's your intent and your goal in life. That's where, that's where the salvation um, decision and choosing happens. Those are some thoughts. I think that's, we're getting into part of why hell has to be kept separate from heaven and the world of spirits and earth, because what the cube is describing, tricking someone to evil and falsity, hell that that's like number one or two on their wish list he talks about <laughs> evil spirits uh, are trying to destroy your conscience which is destroy your sense of right and wrong and he talks about evil spirits that are consumed by the idea of not just destroying people's bodies but destroying their souls by getting them to be evil and i think that's part of why there has to be a separation and that when evil spirits are allowed to do some harmful things. Like in the case of temptations for people, there's a lot of care taken so that people aren't at risk of that sort of harm. I was just reading something about the temptation process for one of our shows. And it was talking about how in that time in which evil spirits can stir up those falsities, the pe person who's being attacked by that is being kept safe. So, yeah, I mean, hell, that's that's what they're all about, but there's really stringent safeguards around that really happening. So, Cara, do you have uh, some thoughts? Just, uh, yeah, you guys have covered everything wonderfully. But my thought is there does seem to be a lot of fear out in the world that when, after we die, we're going to be stuck in a place that we don't want to be that somehow there's going to be an unfair situation and there you are to eternity unfairly stuck somewhere where you don't belong. And that is not going to happen. 
that, that it's your heart that's going to choose your eternal home. And you're going to have a chance to sort all out all that stuff that happened here. Was I tricked? Would I have made that choice if I, you know, if I had all my senses about me? I don't love that. What do I love? Like you get to figure out the whole thing clear as a bell. Nobody is put somewhere they don't want to be. So it would be, wouldn't it be great if we could relieve the human race of that fear? That's very well said. It's getting to the heart of the matter. Thank you, Cara. I think let's end on a high note there. Um, hey, I just noticed that Christy made a donation on the screen as I was talking here. Thank you so much. That means your donation will be matched by Tim and Gracie. Um, and so if anyone is wondering how they can get in on the fun, go to offtheleft.com slash donate. And if you want us to pay a little tribute to uh, somebody you're, that you're thinking about who's crossed over, don't forget that you can write their name in the chat and maybe a little message and we'll bring it up at the end in our Thought Brings presence, Present segment. All right, cool. Let's go to the next one. Great answers, everyone. Deborah Mercer asks, is there really a new world waiting for us as human beings that we are all going to live on? What does Swedenborg say about a new world other than the spirit world. I think we've got to, if we're talking about new worlds, we've got to start with Dr. Jonathan Rose. What do you think about this question? <laughs> the, um, it's a very interesting question. Um, uh, Swedenborg does talk about heaven on earth, sometimes um, in specific terms, sometimes in vaguer terms, but uh, there it's not just that the spirit world is great, but that this world, whatever he means, will will get better. I don't think he's talking about a different planet, or um, I think he's talking about like a cultural or spiritual improvement to the planet that we've already got, which would be so different that I think it would feel like a different world. You know, I mean, people will say colloquially, that if you go to, you know, a certain kind of uh, a club or you go to a country on the other side of the world, you just think, oh, that was a, just a different different world, you know, meaning there was a different environment. There were different uh, feelings and passions and thoughts that were there in that. And I think that's the kind of change. And that's very exciting to me, the thought that um, – this world is capable of transformation. It's not just that we have to put up with this for a few decades and then we'll be able to go to a great place. Uh, part of the project is to, uh, for us each, each as individuals, to try to make this world uh, a little more heavenly, um, a little better of a of a world. And and some of the things Swedenborg says about it are quite remarkable. But maybe we can talk about that another time. And this this uh this world is so awesome. I mean, there's plenty of stuff that's not that great that happens there, but there's so much incredible structure and, and beauty and majesty here that I'm glad that we're not looking to go somewhere else. But also if you did, if it suddenly was that there a giant spaceship appeared and everybody got on it and we went to a new world, it'd be the same because we're all the same people, you know, you can change the external circumstances. You can 
you move to a new house, eventually it will feel like your old house because you're the same person. And we're all the same people. We would recreate the same dynamics there. So yeah, it's it's really, you can, and it's just, I can walk through the world and not be that inspired by it. Or the next day I can be looking at every little living grasshopper and say this, I can't believe this exists. This is so great. So it's really, as you're saying, Jonathan, about changing that, that internal state. Yeah. Chelsea, did you have some thoughts? That's really cool. I love what you're saying there. And I, yeah, I was just thinking in response to what John, Jonathan was saying about the new world being sort of like a cultural shift or something like that. Uh, one of the elements of that, that Swedenborg describes is that it's not like all of us becoming a monoculture. What he says is more of the dynamic between people will become centered on love, which means that it allows for there to be just abundant diversity like there is in the world already, different cultures, different religions, different everything, and yet being able to coexist uh, in harmony, which I guess is an idea maybe where many more of us are feeling more familiar with, or like have a thought of like, yeah, that'd be nice. Um, uh, it's less about making everybody the same thing. It's more about learning how to live with each other uh, in, in that peace and harmony. So it's just one of those elements that I think is true in heaven. And Swedenborg describes this whole idea of the new world or this new church being uh, a way that that happens on earth too. Yeah, that's great, Chelsea, and love what you're all saying. I'm thinking of that image at the end of the Bible, the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from heaven. So it's not like everybody's leaving and going somewhere else, the people on earth. It's that heaven, which means the heavenly mindset, the the, the heavenly um, way of loving one another and of, of um, seeking truth and everything that's coming down and transforming where we already are and that all the ingredients are there. We just have to get this shift in consciousness that allows it to flow properly again. And I think about uh, nature and we're thinking about a lot of pollution and climate change and things, but you can see when people make an effort here or there, nature is renewing itself. You know, like it's the system can, if the system is allowed to flow again, it, right here <laughs> becomes healed. We don't have to go anywhere else. And um, last thought I have is that I was recently watching a, a new interview with Howard Storm. And when he was going to go back to his body after his incredible <laughs> NDE and conversation with Jesus and angels, he first said, I don't want to go back there. It's just horrible on earth. It's horrible. And uh, you know, everybody's awful to each other and everything. And Jesus said, you know, something like there. There is a lot of, there are a lot of problems, but there's also a lot of good. There's a lot of good going on. And if you can find the goodness in yourself to look out and, and notice that goodness, you know, you'll see it, you know, when we get sort of into a lower, darker state of mind and we're only see the darkness, <laughs> um, we, we can see it if we're willing to look for it and also be a part of it, you know, strive to be a part of it. So it is right here. It's, it can be transforming. And that's what the new earth is going to be a transformed world that we're already in. Love it. That it's all there. Everything you need is there. You just got to reaccess it. I mean, nobody was bored or depressed by the world when they were two, everything was awesome. It's the same world, but you just had a different perspective on it. 
And regarding what Chelsea, you were saying about, it's not about making everybody the same. And it's because it's the same thing. You're unless you're operating from love of the neighbor, which is love of everyone and not loving people because they're similar to you. It's always going to be, there's the same amount of differentness. What I mean is right now you can say, oh, there's all these different people all over the world and they're, they're strange. Like Jonathan was saying, it's a different world. That's strange to me. But if you went uh, on an island with people who are just like you, well, then the person who's the least like you of the people who are just like you, that's where you start over again and say, well, I don't like what they're doing there. And then it shrinks down to your own family. And you're like, well, my brother's bothering me. Unless it's love of the whole human race, um, then then you're always going to have that dynamic. Dynamic will just shrink in. It's only when we feel that like, oh, yeah, well, I wouldn't want there's no such thing as monoculture because every single person is different from each other. And then that's in, by intent and by design. Um, then it's like, well, it's like when I when I think about nature and the species of animals, I'm every new species they discover. I'm like, yes, that's so great, because now the whole is greater. And that animal is I just was watching before this show about what was it even called? It was this jellyfish that was, was three meters across and it was matte purple and had these long flowing, not um, opaque tentacles, deep sea species. So cool. And it's like now, now the world is bigger and better because that's in there. So, mm-hmm. Hey, Oh, we got to say thanks to some, to Shelly and Stephanie. Thank you so much. You, we are getting up there. We're more than halfway to our goal. And so that, We've really gone twice as far as it seems because of the generous matching gift that we got. Optoleftedcom slash donate if you want to be a part of the party. This is time for question number three from MTP358, who asks, in the spirit world, are the goods separated from the evil before they go off to either heaven or hell? Chelsea, what happens? Sure. Um, well, I look forward to hearing what other people think too, but right off the bat, uh, the world of spirits, as Swedenborg describes it, is actually a fairly mixed, you know, like everybody just in the same space. Um, and that's a lot of interesting dynamics seem to go on there where people, um, have their inner selves revealed to them or revealed to each other, but then it gets closed off and you're sort of living in a more superficial interaction. Like you can go sort of deep or, or shallow uh, in terms of your interactions with people so that you might be interacting with somebody and then you realize they're either more of a good spirit or evil spirit, but everybody's still figuring themselves out. So it's very um, just mixed, but then, at the same time, Swedenborg can describe, or he does describe that some places, I think it's in the world of spirits where he says like a certain city, there's like a part of the city that is certain, like certain people who are in a certain stage of their journey. And then this other part of the city has other people in, in another stage of their journey. And so sort of people kind of starting to do the spiritual world thing of, of being organized by really what they love or where their, you know, where their interests are. Um, so there's, centers in the world of spirits which it seems like people gravitate to but but then at the same time it the principle of it i think is that you're not you're you're in a process of having your insides match your outsides and because you're still in that process everybody's just in the same place together 
But then as you're getting ready to go to wherever your spiritual home is, that's where you're getting to the point where your insides are matching your outsides fully. And then there's no, there's no shallow, shallow superficial level to you anymore. It's just you. So um, that's, that's where it moves from there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, um, Swedenborg talks about different stages of that period in the world of spirits that you start out in a more superficial state and you would be very mixed with lots of different kinds of people, but that then you move into a second stage. And um, it seems to me to be a gradual process of sorting that as, as you move deeper into realizing uh, who you truly are on a deeper level and who you want to be, you know, like which direction you are wanting to head, then it um, just starts to be a very uh, natural and automatic process that you gravitate to different locations than other people who are maybe um, having a very different uh, inner, inner focus coming out. And so it starts to be more and more sorted as you go deeper into your process until finally, yeah, there is quite um, quite a separation before people actually head into heaven or hell. So it's, there's a gradual, a gradual unveiling and gradual sorting going on. It seems to me. Excellent. I, I mean, I feel pretty satisfied with those answers. Um, hopefully, that's clear. MTP three five eight. Before we move on, I gotta say some thanks to some great people. First, we have, and I'm going to thank them by mispronouncing their names. Chen Yi gave, and she said, for the memory of my parents, thank you for your wonderful works. So thank you. And then Gohar gave, in memory of Edward Kazanchen. Thank you so much, Gohar. Appreciate it. And looks like we just had a donation come in from Jonathan. And now we are very close. So thank you, Jonathan. And it seems like, oh, it seems like, did we get there? We may have got there. Thanks, everyone. That was super great. That means Yay. we'll be getting our Thank entire, um, the entire matching gift from Tim and Gracie. It's a good night. Thank you so much. Party doesn't have to stop. If you want to keep going, uh, offthelefteye.com slash donate. Everything you put in makes this kind of programming possible. We're not for profit. This is how we're able to reach people and get things out into the world. It's almost a half hour, but I think we can squeeze another good question in here. It's biblical in nature, so I wonder if this is Dr. Jonathan Rose. We'll see. Um, John Bishop asks, wait, <coughs> what was that? Uh, John Bishop asks, Let's in that, <laughs> it's my second time I've ever sneezed during off the left eye. That was great. In Matt 21, verses 33 to 43, Jesus' parable of the vineyard, who is Jesus describing as the vineyard owner, servants, tenants, and son? Isn't there a warning not to kill the owner's son as they did his servants? So what, it sounds like we're wondering what's the, what's the symbolism of these characters? And even if we don't know it offhand, I know we can look it up. Uh, Jonathan, do you, do you know it offhand or did you look it up? Yeah. I, I tried to look it up real quick. I just found one one passage. Um, on the face of it, uh, Swedenborg takes it as being about ancient Judaism. 
Uh, of course, everything in Scripture applies more broadly than that, but the passage that I found described it as being that the um, vineyard, um, that the servants, uh, the so the uh, the servants are the ones who who are sent to try to collect from the tenants. So basically, it's an image of the church that the church actually belongs to God. But then there are people who take it over, like the tenants, and they're kind of inhabiting it. And then he sends his servants, who uh, Swedenborg says are equivalent to the prophets. You see the Old Pro- Testament prophets go in and say, hey, we got to do this right, got to do this right, and everything. And then they send the um, owner's son, uh, which obviously seems to be a reference to Jesus coming. And Swedenborg has a whole complicated ex- explanation about um how the son is the human manifestation of God. The quote unquote father is the, is the divine that it came from. And so uh, it certainly does seem like a, a warning not to kill the owner's son. Now uh, that said, uh, Swedenborg's pretty clear that it's not just an exercise in beating up people who lived 3000 years ago or something, you know, this is about, parts in us and how we tend to treat as i think about it right now uh i think we're like that even our even our bodies in a way are are like a a vineyard we're sort of renting this space um you know what i mean like we've been given this thing that's in the shape and form of heaven and we're we're living in here and we may be trashing it or, or whatever what we really should be doing is is welcoming these um, prophets and welcoming the Lord, and it is the is the proper thing to be doing with this territory that we've we're kind of you know renting space in. I, I'm going to stop because I don't think I'm making any sense. But no, <laughs> those un- are some thoughts. Uh, unfortunately, you made a ton of sense because <laughs> the church, sure, and it can happen out there. It can be a religious institution that people can corrupt, but. It's only made up of individual churches in us that we 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 have that vineyard, which I think you're you're absolutely right. Walking around, wearing the form of God and with rationality, with a will and understanding, all this stuff that's derivative from God. But then, as we're living in our life and using that to to further our own selfish and materialistic interests, and then good impulses come along and and truths that are trying to tell us to live a different way, and we eff- effectively stomp those out when they come. And we say, now we just want to. I just want to keep doing this. It's the same thing. It's happening inside of us. I, I think I think you nailed it. Hey, um, does anyone else want to say anything about that? Oh, I guess okay. I mean, only just in response to what you just said, it's like all the symbolism is right there in terms of a vineyard, you know, like that's spiritual truths of your mind. You know, you could just, I, I, it's just like, we've only broken the surface, so to speak, like you could spend a lot of time meditating and reflecting on like, how does this, you know, how do you have those pieces and how, how does it reflect in our, in our life? Yeah. Jonathan. Well, I just uh, had an additional thought that the prophets uh, often correspond to truth. And so I think they're, they're truths, as you were saying, Curtis, that, that come in and that are trying to steer us. And well, how about this? Well, how about, you know, being more compassionate or how about, and and how do we treat those truths when they come in? And then the sun coming in might be love itself, you know, coming in. 
And do we kill that or do we welcome it? You know, what, what do we do with that when that shows up? I love it in these words, but a vineyard being like even your mind, you know, because it's your, the earth that you cultivate, that's, that's our mind. And so interesting to think about that. Yeah. And infinite things probably contained in that scripture and uh, infinite ways that we could dig into it. But I love starting it off there. Things have gotten a little out of control here with the donations uh, in a good way. Thank you, everyone. We had Brian give a really generous gift in honor of Emanuel Swedenborg. So, yeah. Hooray for Swedenborg and thank you, Brian. And then we had Sean make a gift as well. So we are up to $515 now. We are have shot past double our matching goal on top of Colin's gift to sponsor the show. So we're talking about really being able to put some good resources toward um, furthering Swedenborg's mission. And we would be remiss if we didn't thank all of you for your contributions in making this happen. And the best way we know how to do that is to give you free stuff. It's time for the raffle. First, let's acknowledge our lovely donors that, that make this programming possible. Here's the list of people who have donated so far in the month of December to us in any sort of form. Boom. Is it going up on the screen? Yeah. So there you can read. I'm just kidding. I know I don't see it there. Or is it? Oh, it's just frozen in that thing. It's probably up there. If you see yourself on that list, thank you so much. Appreciate it. You are the fuel that makes our engine go. And if you want to be on that list, all you got to do is got to go to offtheleft.com slash donate. Now, we have three raffles where we give back to people based on what category you're in. First, we have our all-donor raffle. So if your name was on that list, then you're a a candidate for this. Um, So let's see who wins the all-donor raffle this month. And I need to get it in the chat because... Can't see it on the screen because we had our ah, Robin Godding. You win. Thank you, Robin, for donating. You get heaven and hell, either something you can read or something you can listen to. Thank you so much. Now we have our new donor raffle. That means if you gave for the first time ever in December, welcome. It's great to have you here. So glad you feel like we're doing something that you want to support. And the winner from that group is Jack Dwan. Thank you, Jack. Divine Love and Wisdom to listen to or to read is yours. Great books, both of those. And then finally, we have our recurring donor raffle. That's if you've taken the step to be an ongoing supporter of us and set up for a automatic monthly recurring donation. We have special gratitude for you. And here is the winner from that group. It is... Deborah Bomar, you get Divine Providence, the book or the audio book. Thank you, everybody who did that. And also, while I'm while we're just sitting here giving stuff away, we had a gift come in from Stephen. So now we're up to 565. 
And I just looked up in time to miss. I think that was Barbara, whose name flashed up there. But we'll see it in a second here, and we'll acknowledge it. Thank you, everyone, for finishing this year out with a bang for us. Let's uh, let's give the people their money's worth and do some more question answering. Uh, let's see what the next one is going to be. Wait, I don't have it in the chat yet. Let me pull it up, and then we'll get to our next question. So it's up, John Bishop. Uh, the, oh, the Matt, the parable. Oh, no, never mind. We did see that one. Never mind. We did, we did that. Oh, here we go. William Boyd, who asks, my mother and father caused lifelong trauma in their children. When we meet them in spirit, what will it be like to see them again? Will they apologize to us? So thanks, William, for um, being willing to share uh, about that experience and that's that's a subject i think that a lot of people have to deal with so everyone who's willing to talk about it certainly helps us all to to understand and try to cope uh jonathan do you want to lead off the conversation yes thank you for sharing that and that is um it's just you feel in your spirit don't you that it's that's not the way it's supposed to go you know that's not the way the parenting thing is supposed to go and that's so, so hard to, you know, early in your life, that's to, to get set off on the path that way. Uh, when the question came up before about the good and evil being separated in the world of spirits, I was thinking about the fact that um, I think there's, uh, I think it's highly regulated. I think it's very carefully curated, but I think there is contact uh, between people to try to resolve things. Some people are just in, in, in a bad, uh, you know, in a, in a bad frame of mind or a, a bad uh, frame of heart. Um, you know, may, maybe they're truly hateful or something. Uh, but I still think angels sort of facilitate an opportunity for you to be able to work things out, to see who they are. They get to see who you are. They get to see the effect they had on you, whether they feel bad about that or not. And, and it gets kind of re resolved, but in a, in a kind of safe environment from, from what I gather from what Swedenborg says. And in other circumstances, it's pretty clear that um, they feel horrible about what the, you know, they, 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 they weren't awake. They didn't know what they were doing and they, they feel terrible and they're, they're very happy to have a chance to set it right and give you a different message and, and make up for it, for it and all, all that kind of thing. So I do think that's an important element of the world of spirits because you have contact, even between people who are in, in different states uh, can have uh, contact in that way in the world of spirits. And I think there's a lot of things that, the, nobody talked about sort of psychotherapy or that kind of thing back in Swedenborg's day, but that's kind of the impression I get out of some of what he says, that that's what it's like, is that you're, you're working things uh, through, you're working through painful things that happened and, and, you know, things that scarred your spirit and, and having a chance to hold it in a, in a different light. Yeah, thank you, Jonathan. That's great. The it is a little bit frustrating how sparse Swedenborg's information is on that kind of psychological restorative stuff, but it does seem to imply that it's there. That the most 
vivid example I can think of is the story we led our show Five Reunions in the Afterlife with, which was, it was parents and a son who hadn't gotten along. I think in this case, it was that the son had been um, abrasive and, and negative in some way, but it was actually a situation where he was put into the state like a little child and that softened the parents' hearts and they were able to sort something out. And then that son met his brother who had died young, who the first son had been jealous of, but the brother said, oh, listen, I'd give you everything that I have. And it was definitely this very curated and um, ma magical in that you could switch, swap around ages and do everything to get people to understand each other. So I would think there, there certainly is that you're talking about. It, also, Swedenborg describes scenarios in which people who had committed crimes against other people, even up to murder, have to face and and deal with um, seeing the person that they've harmed again, you know, under those sort of conditions. So, thanks, Jonathan Karn. Did you have some further thoughts? Yeah, William. So so sorry you went through that. That's just really really tragic. And the, the guarantee is that you will have healing, you know, full healing in the afterlife. Um, as Curtis and Jonathan were saying, there are going to be amazing uh, methods in the afterlife for really sorting through what went on, being able to see everything that led to why your parents would act that way, you know, like their past and their heredity, um, looking more into your own uh life and, and other ways that you were sustained and supported. Um, but even um, worst case scenario, if your parents uh, didn't have it in them to apologize, um, I think that you will feel so clearly how um, God is your true mother and father, and you are so beloved and so valued that that will fall away, you know, like that will be healed because you will be so bathed in, in feeling loved, 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 and uh, that wound will, wound will be healed. So hopefully, you know, they would, they would realize uh, and, and want to apologize, but either way, you're going to be bathed in love and healed of that trauma. Thank you. That's, that's good to remember that, that that's, that's the aim of the Lord is to care for everyone in the best way possible. So really uplifting thought there. Thanks everyone. That was great. And thank you, Barbara. We had a contribution from Barbara who said, thank you for the conversations. Well, thank you. We couldn't have them without all of you powering it and, and being here and, and spurring the thoughts. So let's, uh, let's do another one. This is from Matthew Bush who asks, Swedenborg says that languages contain the spiritual sense or inner sense, especially the Oriental language. Do you know what he means by that? Referencing Secrets of Heaven 10217. Chelsea, what, what's it going to be? Um, I, uh, I know that I looked it up and I think it's phenomenal and fun to have you cite an actual passage and have us go on a journey of looking it up to see what it says. Um, I think Oriental can also be translated as Eastern. And uh, so just looking at it myself briefly, I, I really wonder what he means by that. Um, I know, uh, I wonder almost if he, he says things about the Hebrew language that I'm guessing maybe, maybe Jonathan or somebody else might comment on, but I wonder if he really even means like, 
there's sort of a habit of using language in a symbolic way uh, in certain Eastern languages and or in some Eastern ones. Just makes me think of um, Sanskrit and uh, and the ancient, te- uh, I mean, they were oral originally, but the Vedas and being able to uh, just so clearly you're articulating this sutra that's using symbols, you know, like mantras that just describe a jewel being in a lotus and that being in your heart. And like, you're meant to say that and it contains all this spiritual truth. And you're just taught that that's what you do. You say this mantra that all you're saying is jewel lotus heart, jewel lotus heart. You know, it's like, how is that? You have, it, it, it totally must contain it must be a spiritual image that it's trying to get you to think about things spiritually. Um, and so just sort of the practice of, of the ancient Sanskrit language and, and the Vedas makes me think of uh, that sort of inner sense being contained in the languages in terms of how they're used. But, uh, but that I know Swedenborg says certain things about the actual written Hebrew text, I think. So I'll pass it maybe for somebody else to say that. Yeah. I'll just jump in and say, yeah, he does talk about those, letters like the Hebrew letters actually and the little marks and everything there's symbols and they are make of uh, and um I know nothing about the Chinese language but I remember when our uh, animator Meng worked for us he at one point was talking about the Chinese letters and how they were they were symbols you know like they were pictures that had become letters so I think there is a lot of that in the ancient languages that they they kind of started out as pictures that then got sounds associated with them, but the, the pictures had like a full meaning too. And then that became a sound. And so there's just so much symbolism there. I think that uh, maybe maybe that's what Swedenborg's talking about. Yes, and to Swedenborg, um, who's all the way in Sweden on the west side of Europe, <laughs> Eastern is like, it covers a broad area, <laughs> and uh, and so I don't know precisely what he means by that, but I do know that there are times when he refers to what used to be probably politically incorrectly referred to as the Near East, or the, and people still talk about the Middle East and the Far East and so on. So in other words, we're not only talking about uh, Chinese or something like that, but also, you know, possibly Arabic or as Chelsea was saying, Sanskrit or, um, you know, uh, other languages from that part of the world. And I can't help but think about Swedenborg never talks about this as far as I know. Uh, He talks about hieroglyphs and that sort of thing, but not, um, uh, but not Chinese pictograms. But I do think the pictogram would lend itself well, as Karin was saying about Hebrew, that those the fact that it's image based has kind of already a, a second layer in it uh, that that all those letters, as she was saying about Hebrew, um, have have that uh, ha- have a shape and have a have a meaning. Uh, so you can have layers of of meaning in there. It's a very intriguing passage, and thanks for bringing it up. Excellent. Yeah, thank you. We do love a good uh, good Swedenborg reference, especially a healthy in the 10,000s of Secrets of Heaven. So thank you, Matthew Bush. Moving on, Sheila M. asks, the phrase, don't fear, is mentioned several times in the Bible. 
How can we overcome fear when we are facing so many challenges and hardships? Like it sounds good to say, but there's a lot going on here. Cara, what do you think? <laughs> that is such a deep question. Uh, I think <clears throat> one, one place to start is to see if you consider believing in the fact that God is love, a totally loving God who created all of us for heaven <clears throat> and is helping us in every way that he can to get us there. Um, and that all everything is leading to good eventually in God's eyes. Um, and that uh, our spiritual development often depends on struggles in our spirit, you know, like uh, it, it's that's what grows our faith is when we have to go through a really uh, uh, big crisis in our mind about what am I doing here, God? Where are you? Um, so that's just a very, it doesn't help much, but, but that's what I work on every day is trying to trust that that is true. Trying to trust that that is true. I don't understand it. I can't see it all. I, it looks like chaos to me, but trying to trust that God is love and God is pulling us all to heaven all the time. As someone who's uh, wrestled with um, anxiety a lot in my life, I've, I've, I actually think I counted at some point that there are 42 occurrences of the do not fear or don't be afraid in, in scripture and a lot of other things about anxiety and so on. And what's coming to me now is that um, it's interesting that this often comes up when angels appear or when God appears in some form. And I'm interested that even the prophets, who were supposedly pretty spiritual, you know, uh, they're already kind of on board, uh, they just inevitably react with fear. Uh, I believe that's how Peter, James, and John reacted during the Transfiguration, uh, to the point where they practically passed out. Uh, Daniel, Isaiah, you know, uh, the, the whole litany of, of them. Um, going through John on the Isle of Patmos, this, this fear reaction. And then the angel says, don't be afraid. So I don't think we're expected to not be afraid like the, the first time or, or something, you know. Uh, I, I think they know that we're afraid. I'm wondering right now whether part of it is that uh, it's God who can really give us that uh, lack of fear, and if we experience that, you know, what we experience first is fear. If we get to that point of not being afraid, because often in those scriptural stories, it's accompanied with a hand touching you, lifting you up, comforting words, that sort of thing. If you experience that, uh, you know it comes from somewhere other than yourself. Uh, and that, that's a beautiful thing, that that, that peace uh, and... and um, that lack of fear, that that love um, comes from outside of ourselves, but we can receive it. Swedenborg even says that it's natural that we, you know, when the Lord approaches, kind of there, our outer self kind of collapses, and and uh, that's part of the part of a process. So I think if we 
if I ever experience a lack of anxiety, I, I know I'm in good shape. Thank you, friends. Oh, that's great. I, uh, I think, yeah, it's funny because the Bible having it, ha including that so many times, like it's said so many times, is a correlation with how much we need to hear it. You know, it's like <laughs> there's reason everybody's so afraid of the Bible that God and the angels are just like constantly saying, no, really, you don't have to be afraid. So what was coming to my mind was that thought of like, uh, it, it cues me into uh, like that a perspective shift is possible. Like if I'm in fear, then it's even just the possibility that there's a different perspective that isn't, isn't believing the fear, you know, like that there's the option to, to come, that there's some hope that there's a way to center yourself in a, in a different um, level of your mind or heart, uh, as Swedenborg describes it, that, that uh, is a little more in tune with that presence of love. That's, that's always with us. And then the Bible, that reminder helps us, oh yeah, look for that. You know, what, what does that look like? What does it feel like? Um, and, and similarly, the other thought was the prompt for reflection, like, because it is coming up so much, then if I am noticing myself in fear, then it's like, oh, okay, something about this isn't uh, true. And I mean that on a spiritual level, like you need to, you need to investigate fear. Like it's a useful emotion that we have for keeping us safe. So obviously not uh, putting it away for, you know, ignoring it or trying to resist it, but uh, paying attention to it and knowing, you know, so on a spiritual level, that kind of fear is like, okay, wait, is there, there's potentially another way to hold this. Um, so sort of that possibility is what it speaks to me. Oh, that's great. I know a big thing for me is noticing that so much of fear is about, not about something that is happening, but that might happen. Um, and uh, I think that staying present can, you know, like really making an effort when, when you go into fears of like, oh, what if this happens? Or what if they think that? Or what if this happens? Um, boy, if you can just come back to what's actually happening, not what might happen, that takes care of a lot of fear. <laughs> and um, I just remember a profound thing where I, uh, you know, my oldest daughter died many years ago. And I remember before that being a young adult and, and having all sorts of fears about what if, Oh, what if somebody dies or whatever? And then somebody did. And I remember after that saying, I am, I want to not, <laughs> I want to just save my energy for when something actually does happen. I'm just thinking of all the energy I spent worrying about what might happen. Um, don't know if I'm making that clear, but it was just very, a big shift for me. Like, I'm going to wait till something is actually happening. And then I'm going to, you know, call upon <laughs> the Lord's strength to deal with that instead of zipping off into all sorts of things that might happen and that might never happen. Um, so that's one thing, staying present is a huge one and trusting that if something does happen, that's hard, um, God is gonna get you through that. And another huge thing for me is we're in this together that um, when hard things happen or scary things happen, um, we are meant to call upon each other. Like we're meant to help each other and know that, you know, live that we're not alone. We don't have to go through anything alone. God is always with us and God is, is the strength that gets us through hard things. But also 
we need we need to remember like call upon each other when something scary is happening or is about or is actually going to happen call upon support you know or or give it when uh you know something's going on and the more we can pull together to face hard challenges um that's a really bonding thing when humans um help each other to face challenges it's hugely bonding and and hugely uniting so it's a a really good thing that uh god can bring out of hard times so just uh for me it's trusting that god is is going to be there if a scary thing does happen <laughs> don't don't get into what ifs but just know that w- if something does hit we're in this together god is with us and we're going to get through it and we're going to gain something through that experience so that helps me and i just i have to add one more quick thing um something chelsea said reminded me because i love words um that fear can be looked at as an acronym f e a r false evidence appearing real <laughs> and and uh i just love little word games like that that help me like snap out of it and so if you can name something that's false like oh i don't believe the lord's taking care of me and try to you know walk away from that falsity anyway false evidence appearing real think about it <laughs> Are you muted, Curtis? I am. I thought like my, you know, like the space bar trick was abandoning me. I was just going to say, it's easy to remember the fear thing. So let's do it. Hey, we're going to get to one last question here because we have one that we're excited about answering before we run out of time. This is from Aaron Clark, who asks, how do you know Swedenborg is right? (laughs) I'm really curious because I have found this super interesting. Come on, let's not let Aaron down. See, he already thinks it's interesting. Jonathan, what's going on? Well, I I think I, I got really interested in whether Swedenborg kind of expects us to just believe it because he said it. And I looked at that very carefully, and I really think he does not. What he says is that his spiritual experience convinced him beyond the shadow of a doubt. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that's what he communicates often. Uh, I think what we need to do as a friend of mine uh, was fond of saying, is to look it up in ourselves, to look it up in our own lives, you know, and these things may seem very remote and bizarre. They often do to me when I first read them in Swedenborg. But then I look at human dynamics and I realize, oh, this is just like that story he said, and this is just like that other thing, and I'm acting just like that person in that story. And um, uh, then it starts to, when I, when I see it, in myself and people around me, and it actually organizes my reality and, and tells me what's going on, then I start to get the sense that this is true. Swedenborg is, uh, hastens to say that no angel would ever accept anything on anyone else's say so. It has to make sense to them, you know, and so that's a very important principle to follow. Oh, I love that so much. And it just made me think to, it's not about Swedenborg being right, and he's categorically incorrect in certain statements he makes <laughs> about natural biology and among other things. So it's like, you know, and who knows what his, uh, so anyway, just to say there's in, you know, incorrect things in the text, but, um, and other issues that we would, that we look at, I mean, like Swedenborg, I'm going off track here, but Swedenborg was pr- predicting this era of the new church 
So I think he, even though he's, he's getting, he's very much in a heavenly state. Um, there's, there's perspectives that, that we have now that are, that we can see, oh yeah, interesting. Like he's this 18th century theologian. He's, he's referencing a very certain perspective of the world. So anyway, it's not a question of him being right or not. It's, is what he writes useful? And that is entirely the case. Um, and some things are more or less useful. Like, so I'm not, it's not about sort of like everything even being useful, but is, is pieces of it useful and that has totally borne out in my life through what Jonathan is describing, where it's like, try it on for size. It's giving you this perspective on, on life that I found incredibly helpful for understanding the way my mind works, going through spiritual growth, understanding, like just this groundedness um, that, that uh, just is, hasn't ceased being useful. <laughs> I've been around it for lots of years. So it's like, so, and it, so yeah, it's not about it being right. I think it's really just about, is it, is it useful and is it helping people? And I think those are the ways that like, yeah, it's alive. Like that, that spiritual reality he, he's describing is, is bigger than even his own books. Cause he couldn't write it all down anyway. And that's something we're all getting to participate in and, you know, and learn from together. Yeah. Um, Karin, yeah, go, go ahead. Then I, I have some thoughts too. love what everyone's said so far. Yeah, I really agree. And for me, um, just the big picture system that Swedenborg describes is uh, just incredible for me in bridging all sorts of gaps between different areas of life, science and religion and um, psychological life and physical life. And um, it's uh, just the, the past and the present and the future. And uh, I just find it just makes sense out of things and gives me a sense of peace and um, a sense of the big picture that just makes life make sense to me in, in a way that uh, I haven't found anything else that does it so completely. <laughs> I, I asked my dad that question myself when I was about 12 years old. And his answer was, <laughs> it just makes sense. And Swedenborg's very firm about that we have to run it through our own rationality and choose in our own freedom what rings true to us. There's a great passage about how we we need to go to the word and love the Lord and and the Lord will show you the truths that are meant for your faith. And I think that's a very powerful um, affirmation that it's about what makes sense in your heart. Awesome. Before I give my closing thoughts on that, I want to say thanks to John, who made a, a contribution as well. Appreciate it. Everybody has really stepped up tonight, and, and we appreciate it. I think that's a testament to the, the, the rightness or usefulness of Swedenborg's message right there. People are saying, I want to, I want to help this go. So Aaron, I was thinking about how did I get to be where I am, where I'm perfectly happy and comfortable talking to Swedenborg all the time on the internet. And I want to, uh, recently I was doing a, a live Q and a show on Wednesday that we call Wednesday. And somebody was asking if I had ever had a spiritual experience. Cause Jonathan, you mentioned Swedenborg's 
spiritual experience confirming it to him that he says these are not airy speculation i have seen i have heard i have felt or something and um for me it wasn't a spiritual experience that convinced me of swedenborg but it was a million little experiences that all the times when i've been in the kind of fear we were talking about earlier and i've tried running over and over in my mind the regular sorts of justifications or little devices i could come up with to try to convince myself against my fears and to just have that not work and not work and not work but then these principles in swedenborg and often like exactly how he words it just come in and just flatten the wind in the waves and so to me it's it shows oh that's something and uh, whether or not every bit of what he wrote is right, um, there's more rightness overall in it than, than everywhere else put together from what I've found. And I think that's what keeps me magnetized to it. And, and what, as like Chelsea mentioned, I've been around Swedenborg a long time and it still feels fresh. It still feels new. And I still get this, oh, uh, we were like editing a video recently that I had made. And one of the editors was saying, um, well, you can't be like, whoa, whoa, to something you've already read before. But I always feel like that about Swedenborg. I was like, that's what it is. And that it's still able to, uh, like how many moves ahead would you have to think if it wasn't the truth to have these insights packed in and in there? So yeah, I, you can't just take it as a blanket thing. Like, oh yeah, it's all true and don't question it. Get in there and question it. That's what brings it to life. And yeah, you don't need the burden of like, is it all or nothing? Uh, there's way more than you need in there. That's my, that's my, um, that's my experience. Way more than you need. I think that's a yeah. good way to, <laughs> TMI, sweetheart, TMI. Yeah, way more than you need. Hey, everybody, speaking of TMI, we went too long here. Come on, let's get to our games first. Let's do though, Thought Brings Presence. Yes, just spending a few minutes uh, remembering people we love who have passed on to the spiritual world. And uh, a quote from Ralph Waldo Emerson that says, Great are they who see that the spiritual is stronger than any material force. So when we are separated from loved ones just by material, you know, the death of a material body or or some other um, uh worldly <laughs> means of separation. Um, the spiritual is what lasts. The spiritual is what is forever. And so that's a, a stronger force than the material. So here are some people that you are thinking of today. Joe Avis Green is, is thinking of Advance Green Brandy, a special dedication to my dad, Advance. He passed on December 10th, 2015, and my baby sister, Brandy, her one-year transition date is coming up on December 3rd. She was a daddy's girl, and I miss them both dearly. Les Stevenson, I want to remember my parents and grandparents. Barbara Gadisis, Nina, remembering Nina. My sister passed in June. Days before her death, she said she saw a lot of people shadows. She had no human visitors. She didn't know who they were but two were real tall. <laughs> so she was getting some greeters there. Deborah Mercer is thinking of Fern, always thinking of and missing my brother. Can't believe he's not here this Christmas. He wasn't last year either, but I was in deep shock and it wasn't a reality like this year. I love you, Fernie. 
Bailey and Bibi, the divas, are thinking of Elaine. To my mom's friend who just left us on Thanksgiving Day, I wish her peace and joy. Ellen Hale is thinking of Larry Ray Hale, the best man I know, my loving husband. He passed on August 4th, 2021. Swedenborg's books have brought much comfort. And finally, Tina Hansen is thinking of Grace, my mother Grace, born the day after Christmas. I always teased her. She had to wait a whole year for her first Christmas. Past, th past Thanksgiving 2016. I celebrate her Christmases now. Aw, thinking of all those beautiful people with you and thinking of you all with love. Thank you for being willing to share that with all of us and uh, share this hour here. It's been great diving into everything. So let's lighten it up a bit, but with an educational twist. It's time for the Swedenborg Games, and we're going to start with grading Swedenbot. So there's our Swedenbot um, and dutifully working away as Swedenbot always does to try to grasp Swedenborg's theology and then uh, spit it out in a, <laughs> in a way that we can comprehend. Um, and so what this means is it is a, an AI that we've been, that we fed all of Swedenborg's works to. So it's just, it's just to let you know that, you know, it's, it's a lot to wrap your head around. And so, it's hard, it's hard for Swedenbot and we could appreciate that. Um, so we grade Swedenbot's, a few of Swedenbot's um, passages that he's written and let's take them each in turn. What's the first one? The Lord is called the word and the literal meaning is the foundation container and support of its heavenly meaning. What do you guys Oh, A plus, yeah, huh? <laughs> I, I, I would give that an A. I think that's that's true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the only the only thing that's a little weird is that we're talking about he's saying the Lord is called the Word, and then we've yeah. shifted to talking about the Word yeah. instead of the Lord. Like, yeah, it's a book. It's a conf <laughs> confusing switch of subject. It's theologically hundred percent, but I wonder if we need to ding it for. Right. Am, am I am I right about that? It seems a little. Yes, it does, and and it's also a little w weird to say the Lord is called the Word. You know, I mean, Swedenborg say would say that the Word is in mostly contains the Lord or or something like that. So yeah, that's a that's a little odd. But I was just so blown away at that second phrase, <laughs> which he took right out of some passage in sacred scripture. That, that, you would uh, think, you yeah, know. I wonder if because it's like a you know. This this maybe is sort of the best Swedenbot has done. Like he doesn't necessarily have the exact phrasing right, but he's he actually captured an idea. So let's give him a, let's give it B. The B. All right, B. Yeah. Okay. All right. B is good. I mean, because yeah, yeah. Oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say we uh, we we've had A's that were a little more. Hey, we can't tell if this is Swedenbot right. or not. That's right. <laughs> yeah. True. Okay. Next one, Swedenbot. <laughs> there, Jonathan. Trick. The Lord I, is the word. I, I think that one is the A, isn't that's it? A. Yeah, yeah. I think that's our A right there. Word and, mean flesh. And it also is funny because I had to include it of my choices this week because 
Swedenbot says this so much. (laughs) (laughs) Really? Every other line is he's saying the Lord is the word and the Lord is the word. So it it just (laughs) I didn't really sort of register how much Swedenborg says that. It's only now in Swedenbot saying it so much you realize, okay, that's the point he's thinking, or like but Swedenbot is thinking Swedenborg is trying to get across. (laughs) Yeah, he got something very important there, I think. Yeah. And so I think it technically is a quote too. I think there are places where Swedenborg says that the Lord is the word, period, even though it's an odd sentence, but yeah. yeah. Yes, right. It's good enough right. Good enough for me. I think it's an A. Yeah, that's an A. All right. And the next one. The reader may see that these items are not distortions of the lower animals. <laughs> they have verbal speech because they have no thought. <laughs> okay. Jimmy, stop distorting the lower animals. <laughs> I'll just say briefly that I think as much as the first one captured like a theological point and then didn't quite say it right, this one is mimicking Swedenborg to a T and yet makes no sense. Yeah, it's just no sense whatsoever. It might need to be an verbal speech because they have no thought. Okay, it's an F because it's not even accurate. Animals don't have verbal speech, and and having no thought doesn't make you have verbal speech. So. It's, you know, if someone wanted to argue that at least it doesn't make an evil point, but I think you got to F this. Yeah, yeah. That's right. <laughs> and it's saying that they have verbal speech because they have no, no thought. That's I mean, right. Swedenborg's very big on the idea that all of your speech comes from your thought. Stop the thought and you have no speech. So he would not, it's humorous to say it, but it's not at all, you know, psychologically accurate. Yes. I love the uh, the reader may see. <laughs> and and the lower the lower animals are not distorted at all. They're yeah. they're in the order these, of their lives. These items, so like Swedenborg's works, are not distortions of the lower animals. <laughs> Swedenborg's weird, but that's too weird. Okay. Yep. All right. Well, there you go, Swedenbot. Get back to work. Very funny. Great job, Swedenbot. Next, let's move on to a cutthroat game of Guess That Swedenborg Phrase. Woohoo! All right, here we go. So in this game, these four people are going to take turns uh, guessing letters. And for every correct vowel, one point. For every correct consonant, five points. Guess the phrase, 20 extra points. But for every incorrect letter, minus five points. So it's very tense here. And if you guess the phrase, but it's wrong, you're out of the game. And the winner does not have to do elevator pitch, which I just realized. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which I just realized since I'm the host of the game, I'm never going to get out of <laughs> off the list of doing elevator pitch. But okay, so starting out with Curtis, what is your first guess? T as in Tim Bilger. Yes, there are three T's. Very good. Chelsea, what's uh, your guess? H. Yep, there is one H. Whew. One H. All right, Jonathan. C. There are two C's. Excellent. Getting a few letters here. Kara. N. 
Yeah, there are four ends. Whoa. Still hard to guess, though. Let's go back to Curtis. R. R. There's one R. What? I, wait, I want to do it over again. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Small, but but correct. All right, Chelsea. Uh, oh, no. Um, A. There are six A's. So that's a good vowel to guess. That fills in some stuff. All right, Jonathan. Why? Mm. Yes, there are two Y's. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Starting to see maybe some possible words here. Kara? S? Yes, three S's. Three S's. Still a lot of spaces there, though. Curtis? Okay, I'm going to go F. Oh, no F's. Oh, wait, minus wait, five. No, I didn't. I hit. <laughs> so painful. <laughs> It was worth a try though. Chelsea. Uh, shoot. Did I already say M? Nobody said M, right? M. No, they didn't. And there are two M's. Woo. Well, that's good. Oh. All right. Yeah. Um, Jonathan. P. Letter P. Two P's. Oh. Oh, 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 great. Any guesses, Jonathan? Not quite yet. All right, Kara. W. Yes, there is one W. A whole angelic community appears as a single entity. <gasps> she got it. <laughs> Man, that Don't one really... Kara, and she won in points. So you are off the elevator pitch list. My <laughs> nice. goal in life. <laughs> that one really went from, I have no idea what this alien thing is to, oh, I get it in like two letters. Yeah. <laughs> it was very mysterious up until something around the end of Jonathan's. It was like, oh. Yeah, okay. the, P, the P is really made yeah. it for me. Although I was going to say unity instead of entity. All right, everyone. Kara. Notwithstanding, the rest of us go to meet our doom in the elevator pitch. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, so we all know this game. You step onto an elevator, you've got a little bit of time to talk about <clears throat> what's important and why. Let's see who's going to talk about what. Spin <clears throat> the wheel of disaster. Jonathan is going to be, that's weird. It didn't go to Chelsea. Jonathan <laughs> is going to be talking about conscience. So we've stepped onto an elevator and we say, Hey, aren't you the guy from that show? You have one minute to tell us what is conscience and why does it matter? Are you ready? Three, two, one, ding. A lot of people think of conscience as something sort of annoying uh or they think it's something that makes you feel bad and that's its its function in your life uh swedenborg says that conscience is extremely important it comes from a latin root meaning to thoroughly know something that shoots in there the the science part means about knowing it very thoroughly and it's a way for god to be present 
with us. It's a step down from perception, but it's still a way that God can be present with us, kind of steering us away from the wrong things and toward good things. If you've got a conscience, you're in good shape. If you don't, it's going to be a little bit a little bit bumpy uh, not having that. So it's very important to keep your conscience in, in good shape because that's a way that God can speak to us. Nice. Woo. Nice. Makes you look at Jiminy Cricket in a whole new light. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jonathan, for that thrilling summary of a very important topic. And thank you, everyone. We're well past our time. So I'm just going to say one last thank you to Sheila, who made a contribution since I last announced. So thank you, Sheila, for your support. We had 13 total donors. Um, we have a grand total. That we got 650 from people contributing here. There was Tim's match of 250 and then Colin's sponsorship. Altogether, we raised $1,150 tonight, which is a awesome way for us to end the year and we will put right into making swedenborg's message available to everybody who could possibly want to find it so thanks everybody for your great questions and insights and to the panel that was a treat for me to get to hear your wisdom thanks for for coming on fun to be here really challenging these are some deep and real questions so thanks everybody yep Definitely. I'm so grateful to have gotten to be here and I feel fed by what everybody's shared and sharing in this community, like Karen was saying, being connected. So nice. I agree with all the above. Uh, it really had me sweating at certain points in there. There, there were some really challenging questions. And uh, of course, the elevator pitch is always a near-death experience. And that's what we're all about. Thank you, everybody, for your support and your presence and wishing you all blessed holidays as, as this year ends and we begin a new one. So thank you. Thank you. And love to you all. Bye, everyone. Thanks again to our sponsor, Colin. We'll be in for your private session soon. If you want to be a sponsor of the show, anyone else, email tbilger at swedenborg.com. And if you're watching this after the fact, you can still donate and contribute and you can still uh, ask questions. You just type them in the comment section and our team will be happy to engage with you there because as you can probably tell, we love talking about this. Have a great night, everyone. Thanks.